Welcome to Spark Creators, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. This podcast invites creators and entrepreneurs from all over to share their stories and ideas. We believe every kid is creative. It's just a matter of taking that first step and starting now. We hope this podcast can inspire you to create something that makes a difference in the world. If you want to stay inspired, remember to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or visit us at peachandplumlab.com slash podcast. This is Lee.、Uh, I'm your host at Spark. I'm so excited today to have Joyce Kervin, an artist based in Palm Harbor, Florida. Joyce uses new and recycled materials to create zany creatures that have attitude and spunk. These funny characters, infused with large dose of humor, are inspired by the midlife wildlife of Florida, from funky sandhill cranes and lazy alligators to her very own dog and cat. So, as a working artist for over thirty-two years, Joyce has always allowed fun colors, interesting textures, and also playful spirit to fill into her work. So Joyce strives to keep her art environmentally、um, friendly by using what she likes to call multi-recycling materials used for her armatures. Have included, but never limited to, plastic bottles, cardboard, newspaper, scrap wood, and leathers, old toys, guitar strings, wires. Layers of paints and much more. So it's really amazing to see that those recycled materials can actually turn into art pieces in the gallery. So definitely, let's dive in to hear more from Joyce. So hey, Joyce, so great to have you on Spark. I'm so excited that you can be on our、um, Craft with Hands and Hearts series. So first, can you say hi to everyone and also introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Joyce Curvin. I grew up in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Had a great childhood. Lots of animals in the backyard. Lots of chickens. We had ducks. We had guinea pigs. All kinds of animals, and it was really fun. Plus, you know, living near the water, we'd go to the beach, hang out, and dig up clams and see the raccoons, and it was just really fun. And my parents really taught me how to appreciate nature, which is probably why I do mostly animals in my work. Yeah. That's amazing because you you have lived in Florida for so long and you probably have engaged with a lot of animals and have seen them throughout your life. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's really great and it's it's been fun to be able to raise a lot of animals and you know you learn to respect them and you learn how to respect nature and it's it's really been great. So in、Definitely. growing up, my、uh, my parents were always involved in lots of organizations. So they were always decorating for this event or that event or. Making stuff, and so that kind of my sister and I adopted those same values of reusing things and recycling stuff. And you know, they, we wanted a skateboard once, and my dad said, "Well, you've got skates out there, and you should just go. You know where the the plywood is and the nails. Just go make yourself one." And we did, and it was really fun. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, we have a question actually related to your childhood. Yeah, so you kind of answered it where you get your influence and also how your parents raised you in a way that actually, um, yeah, impacted how you actually see the world and also utilize these materials to create your uh, animals. Yeah, so you have been working um, as an artist for more than thirty two years. Uh, a lot of our um, guests probably are young, like you know, um, creators, artists, yeah, and uh, who may be thinking, oh, I love art. I don't know what it's like um, to be an artist, you know, full time or in the future. So, can you tell us some of your previous journeys as or as an artist, and also what does it look like being an artist, you know, like throughout your life? I um, well, I took my first real art class probably when I was about twelve doing ceramics and really, really liked the, I loved the feel of clay. I liked the, the, um, the textures and the things you could do with it. I loved that part. Don't like waiting for the kiln because I'm very impatient. You know, I didn't like the waiting around part. My sister and I both took drawing lessons, painting lessons. And, and so that kind of was in the background the whole time. When I went to college, um, I actually got a degree in business because I doubted my ability to do art. Isn't that sad? So I learned from that, you never doubt yourself. You got to go with what you really want to do. So anyway, um, when I got out of college, I was doing business, but I always did art on the side. And I started doing a lot of stuff with paper and paper jewelry. And um, I would match, do earrings to match people's outfits. And that became really successful. And I would do house parties and stuff, kind of like, I'm sure there are companies that still do that today, but... Um, anyway, it was very successful, but I always did it as a second job rather than as a primary job. And then, as it turned out, it started becoming my primary job. And what is interesting about it, you have to do all aspects. You have to do the creation of things. So it's it's um, training yourself to look at things maybe differently. In my case, with recycling, looking at a bottle or a piece of cardboard differently and thinking, how can I make that into something um, is it useful? Is it not? And um, and then it's collecting materials that you need and stashing that stuff away and um, not being a hoarder, not getting too many things that you, you know. And the other thing I think that's been real important to learn as an artist is trying new things and not being afraid to fail. So it's okay to try a bunch of different stuff, new techniques, maybe do a drawing or a piece and you may not like it and that's okay not a big deal you learn from it you move on and that was a really valuable lesson because at times I would find myself really not wanting to make a mistake so I wouldn't do anything and it was just like freezing me into not doing anything so I just had to push forward you try something new and sometimes it comes out really cool whatever you try yeah Definitely. Yeah. It seems like two very important points. Actually, I can take away from what you just said. Like as an artist, you look at things very differently, like even very normal, you know, kind of a a cardboard or a piece of like junk that you see beauty in it and you see certain form in it that you can create actually from that piece of like original material. And also you just have to try different things all the time and then maybe experiment and figure out something and, and the, the creativity or whatever inspiration come out and then you actually create something that you cannot, you know, expect in the very beginning, right? Yeah. So that's that's great. Yeah. So I would love to know more about your recycled um you know, um, like materials and, and so what, 
What inspired you to see such beauty in recycled materials, and and also how does that look like when you first starting create your very first like say art, you know, or animal from those materials? Do you still remember that? Oh yeah, I mean, I, and I and I guess a lot of it really came from my folks when we were. My mom was always having us do different crafts, and most of them were recycled things. I mean, she was a Depression era parent and you know her, her she grew up in that era so she was always having I don't know what she did with all the stuff we made it seems like we made a bazillion of every project but um it was really great to to think that way so I guess thinking of things in a recycling mode wasn't always strange to me it was kind of a normal thing but I started doing the dogs because seriously it was crazy I was doing laundry one day when my kids were toddlers. And I looked at the laundry bottle. If you hold a laundry bottle with a handle up sideways, there's a big part, the bottom of it is really deep and and bigger than the neck part, which is narrower. Where the dog of a body is bigger around the chest and narrower around the hips. And I thought, oh, that would make a nice dog body. That looks kind of like a dog body. And it really started from there, which sounds really weird, but, you know, and once you've, and I teach this every once in a while, I teach once a year at an art center here. And it's interesting because I want to make sure that people, when they go home, can do this at home. And they start, come, they call me and they say, oh my gosh, I was at the store and I wanted to buy this product because the bottle was so cool. You know? <laughs> and so you save all this stuff from the landfill. And I remember thinking, well, this could be kind of interesting. And then I had some cardboard or some dowels or something. So I stuck some legs on that bottle and wrapped it in some newspaper and did some paper mache and it's just really fun it's kind of like wow I mean I still look at stuff and think oh my gosh that's I can't believe I made that you know it's really interesting I have this dog behind me which I know you can see Lee yes yes isn't that like the craziest dog like look at that face it's like yeah he's so happy all the time this dog but and I look at him and he, he cracks me up every time I see him he's going to New Jersey today wow yeah, actually, do you mind break down like your a dog? Like, say, how did you create it, and what kind of material did you use, and especially the structure and the body? Like, yeah, it just because it's right in front of us, right? Yeah, I mean, our audience cannot see, but yeah, I will send some pictures. Oh, okay, great. I can actually send you pictures of a dog in progress of different stages of a dog. This particular yeah, dog amazing. was made with, um, I think it's got a bottle, like a whey bottle, whey protein cylinder bottle inside him. So that's the base of his body. His legs are made by taking um, a piece of a, a, a coat hanger, wire coat hanger, cutting it in half and rolling some paper up and putting that in there and masking taping that around. Masking tape is your friend in paper mache. I'm just saying that right now. You got to have you got to have masking tape. Um, so I used lots of newspaper on his legs, taped it all together. Then his nose is actually the part of that cardboard thing. When you get a new pair of shoes, there's a cardboard form in there that keeps the shoe looking pretty. That's his nose. That's underneath his nose, and that's stuffed with paper. Um, his ears are cardboard. And then he's coated in a mixture of paper mache, which is just flour, water, glue, and a little bit of bleach to stave off mold. But, um, and then I mix up, where are you, buddy? Back there. And then um, I mix a paper clay. There's an artist online named Johnny Good that your listeners, if they want to do paper mache, should look up her tutorials on YouTube. 
It's J-O-N-N-I-G-O-O-D, Johnny Good. And it's she has a great recipe for paper clay. And the thing about paper mache that I really like is that everything is pretty much at, at your house. You can, because you can use, you could just use paper for the body. You could use a balloon for the body. You can use all kinds of stuff. You probably wouldn't want to use metal because that will rust. But any kind of a paper or a plastic product, if you have that and you have some masking tape, you can make just about anything. And some Definitely. So um, that's what I think is really fun about it. So and the important thing, too, is to make your armature really, really strong and so that it can withstand having a lot of wet paper on it because it takes several coats of wet paper, then you let it dry for a while. And it'll take days to dry. But it's, it's really fun to do because you can get a lot of the same effects you might get with clay. You can do the same thing with paper. Got it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, so, so you talked about several types of materials. So here, uh, what are the processes like? So you probably have to build something first and then add layers later, right? So what are the process look like? Like, can you break that down for us? Like, say, once you get these materials and it's it's like actually drawing some kind of uh, art too. Like you start with the bone and then add flesh and then add the skin, right? Layers of layers, yeah. And that's pretty much how it works. So the, so the basic insides of your animal would be your plastic bottle. I generally use a plastic bottle for the body part. Then you have the legs, which could be rolled up paper. I always say it's newspaper rolled enough so that if you hit your your sister or brother with it, they would feel it, but not hard enough to hurt them. You know, so you roll up the paper kind of tight and you tape it all on there. You do the, and you get the legs on. Then you get the neck made, which can be just a cylinder of cardboard. And you tape that on really well and you stuff with paper so it's nice and sturdy. And then you do the head, which can be a ball, also a ball of, of paper. And you could even make, I've used bottles for heads too. It's whatever you think um, is is what you want it to be. And I would just say to you and to your listeners that when I teach this, I tell people you have to talk to it when you're making it. It's really, really important. If you are feeling crabby and unhappy, you're going to make a crabby, unhappy animal. So you have to really be thinking about, you don't have to think about exactly what it's going to look like as much as you think about that you're having fun and that you want to instill something that's fun in what you're making. Yeah. So you have to kind of have that good attitude and you have to say it's just a cartoon. That's the big rule of my class. It's just a cartoon. And so if you think that and you think about some of the cartoons that you see that don't really look exactly like the animals they're supposed to be, then you can really do whatever you want. So you have to get, especially with your first piece, it has to be, you have to just give yourself license to do, to have it come out any way it comes out. So if it comes out with some wonky looking leg on it, that's okay. It was meant to be that way. And then you make up a story about why it happened. You know, uh, so you can just, you just make up stories to go with it. I, in fact, make up stories for most of my animals. Maybe two or three lines about how they, like this dog, he thought the, uh, the marks he left on the furniture were really art. You know how dogs chew on things, you know, and they're so happy they did it. So anyway. Uh, but that just, when you're making the armature, it's really important to have that good attitude and to just to kind of be open to lots of opportunities because that's the that's where you're going to get personality is when you're making the armature. So once the armature is all put together and it's all masking taped up and really sturdy, 
then you start with the layers of paper. So you rip your newspaper into strips and you dip it into this mixture, again, of flour, water, a little bit of glue and a little bit of bleach. And you want to make sure you cover all your surfaces. It's very messy. If you don't like messy things, this would not be the art for you. But if you like messy things, you'd be all about it. So um, anyway, so you, you put the strips into the glue, you, you squeeze out most of the excess and um, you start applying it and you want to crisscross your paper because if you look at your clothing that you have on the threads and your clothing are, are um, woven into each other. And so you kind of want to make sure you have that crisscross weavy kind of thing going with your newspaper and that you may put one horizontal, one vertical and have them go in all different directions because that's what's going to add strength to the piece. So once, and I switch layers, switch papers in between layers so that I know that I've got full layers on. So I might do um, the white pages of the newspaper, you know, the, the plain like ad section, the first layer. Then the second layer might be the comic strips because it's colorful. And so I know okay. that I continue that second layer. Then I usually put a third layer on and then let it dry. And then from there I can add on, sometimes I use clay for my eyes and nose. Um, you can use all kinds of things. I've had people use egg cartons for eyes you know, the little bulbous part that holds the egg for eyes and for noses. I've had people make all kinds of things using all different objects. You could use the caps of bottles for eyes or for a nose. So um, I would just invite people to be real creative and they're thinking about how they're going to represent whatever animal they want to make or whatever piece they want to make. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. I really love what you have talked about, like your own like emotion and also spirit is instilled actually into your artwork. So you can actually transfer whatever you are thinking and you're feeling into what you're making. So that's how, you know, art is about. Yeah. And also the way how um, you mentioned that sometimes mistakes can be fun, you know, can, yeah, like we don't want to create anything like realistic um, so that it looks exactly like what the animal or other things look like because it's your creation. So even mistakes can be like some amazing like creativities that you actually input into your artwork. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, you mentioned, I also mentioned a little bit about your um, tools, say some glues and bleach and also duct tape, you know, all kinds of things. And are there any other tools that you actually use and is it safe for kids to actually do this too? Yeah, it is safe. Well, I think you might need some adult supervision in cutting some things, cutting using the wire cutters and stuff, um, and making sure everything is covered up. You never, ever, ever want to put the glue down the sink. That, that's a really bad thing to do. <laughs> so okay. never put the glue down the sink. Throw it in the garbage in a plastic bag or a, in some kind of paper bag and put it in the garbage, but never down the sink. Um, but I think most kids can do it. It takes a little bit of patience. So you might want to put on some good music when you're putting your layers of paper on, or you, <clears throat> you have some friends over and you do it together so you can chit chat and gab and laugh while you're all doing your layers of stuff. But it's really fun. And it's, and I think the important thing for me is that people know they don't have to go buy a kit at a store to make a project for school. A lot of the stuff you can do just with stuff that you have on hand, whether it's, you know, shoe boxes or toys or you know whatever you might have around and you can you can reuse a lot of different things instead of just going out and buying a kit that makes whatever it is you have to make for school got it yeah so another question i have actually um because you made um your own dog and also your cats but you also made many other animals yeah so do you look at reference pictures like for different 
um, animals and so that you can get some inspirations from? I do. I do, uh, especially when I'm doing special orders. Um, I really like making birds a lot because we used to live on a golf course and there were these sandhill cranes, which are very tall birds with really long legs. And they might stand about, hmm, I guess, up to the head, depending on how old they were, maybe three and a half, four feet tall. And they were just goofy as could be. And they were so funny. And I used to love to watch them because they had these big mating dances and they'd flail their wings and their legs around. And it was just hysterical. And so I got a lot of inspiration off of them. And even looking at birds in our bird feeder, when you look at the way they tilt their heads, the way they look at things, it's just, it's really interesting. When you start looking around at the world around you, you find inspiration everywhere. When you start looking at all kinds of animals. And I can watch a National Geographic special and go, wouldn't it be fun to make a, you know, whatever it is. And my mom gets the Audubon magazine and I was looking at a duck that's on this Audubon magazine. And I thought, well, I need to change that. I should do a bird like that. You know, so I, I start thinking about how I can change my art up a little bit and maybe um, just change the style a little bit to get a different look and get out of the same old rut. Yeah. So I can definitely see like a very fun personality, you know, like behind you. And also the, the special connection you have with animals because you can see their their personality and also, you know, how they're expressing themselves. You find like it's interesting and it's fun. So because you choose the specific topic, say, related to animals too, as your piece of art, like you didn't use any other, you know, like say machine, like, you know, na- other type of nature thing. So, so you definitely have a special connection connection to animals and and uh, have you ever thought about that like um why not anything else but just animals i think what i like about animals is they're more pure you know there's not a lot of and i've thought about honestly i've thought about doing some political pieces and i just can't go there i can't do that bad mojo i just can't i that just doesn't work with me. I need to make something that brings some joy. I think people need a little joy in their lives. Yes. And I yes. think that you find that in nature because it is so pure. And especially, I always do dogs. You know, I do a lot of dogs because they are um, just so darn funny. I mean, they're just so happy about everything. And you have yeah. to love that exuberance. You know, cats, cats are great too. I have two cats and I love my cats, but they're a little more calculating. You know, they, they have their plans about what they expect you to do. And and cats will train you to adapt to their way of life, whereas dogs adapt to your way of life. You know, and, and yes. so that I just find those little differences really interesting. Definitely. That they work with, the way that they interact with people, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, uh, also, because you actually have uh, exhibited all these um, animals in galleries and you are sending them to more galleries. Yeah. So one thing I I wanted to ask is that do you treat your pieces more like, um, you know, the piece that people can only see and look uh, in the gallery? Or do you actually think it's like some fun toys or things that kids, everybody should touch and just play with? And what, what, yeah, what's your view on that? They're not necessarily things you would play with, but it's also not, I mean, I want, I I hope it becomes like a member of their family so that when they look at it, they laugh or they smile or they feel some joy when they're looking at it. I was asked to do some work for a children's hospital that's here, Johns Hopkins, uh, when they took over all children's hospital here locally. 
they asked, were asking about art, different artists to put art in there. And people said, oh, you should do that. And I thought, well, I don't know how my work would be cleaned, you know, because they'd have to clean everything in a hospital. And I don't really want my work under plexi. That was really important to me. I didn't want any of my work to be under a piece of plexiglass so you couldn't touch it. Because I really want kids to, you know, to be able, when they come into my booth at an art show, to go up and touch the dogs and pat them and, you know, make up stories about them and feel like, they're interacting with them. So I want people to interact. It's not like it's something you would, you know, play with per se. Yeah, because I just noticed like how the way how you grab it too is like it's you're not you know like treating it as a delicate piece that, that it's yeah you it's like a piece that you have created that you feel very comfortable to interact you know like yeah, yeah they're very very sturdy. I started making yes, them when my boys very were, were very, very young and they would come out to my studio and knock things over because they're kids, you know, and play. And, and so I really want to make everything so that I could really knock it off the table and it would be okay. Not that I want to do that all the time, but, <laughs> but you know, I just want to make it very sturdy. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, I guess let's dive in a little bit about your career as an artist. Um, so what do you do on a daily basis as an artist Yeah, besides making the artwork? Yeah. There's a lot to do with, uh, you know, I have to take pictures of everything that I make because I want to have a record of them. Sometimes yeah. I have to take a picture and send it to a gallery and say, like for this particular dog that's with me now, I've got this great dog. I think it's a hoot. People, you know, people just need to see it. What do you think? And um, so it's a lot of marketing that goes into it and just researching stuff, thinking about what the newest things are and also networking with a lot of other artists. I have breakfast with a couple artist friends, you know, a couple times a month and we talk about what we're doing and you can bring ideas to your friends and say, gosh, I'm working on this. What do you think about this? What do you think about this direction? And because they're good friends of mine, they'll say, oh, have you thought about doing this and so, or, you know, critique stuff for me, which is really great. So it's really helpful to talk to other people, other artists, even though they're not in the same discipline that I'm in. They're really helpful in um, in moving me past maybe some a block that I might have on a piece or something. So it's really helpful in that respect. Definitely, definitely. You know, so this podcast, we um, are actually... Uh, encouraging creative kids to be entrepreneurs. <laughs> so uh, something related to like, say, if you create something like a piece of artwork and um, we actually encourage them to like, say, start the business and do something with it too, right? So you have your uh, studio and you create art. So do you sell them? And if so, how do you manage like the creation and selling part as a studio together? So that I do sell them, and I sell. I don't sell a lot online because I just haven't. Um, and so I normally sell through galleries. So when okay. I am putting together a piece, I finish the piece, I take a picture of it, and I usually don't have a hard time parting with a the piece. There have been a couple pieces over the years that I've really had a hard time letting go of, and uh, it's been really funny. It's just like an, this emotional bond, but it only happens, it happens rarely. But anyway, so I would take the piece to a gallery and um, they, when they sell the piece, they have to take a portion of the proceeds of that piece. So they might take half of what the piece sells for. So let's say that one of my dogs might sell for $300. Their commission would be $150. So, which can be a chunk of change. 
So you have to make when you go make sure that when you price your work, when you're selling through a gallery, that you price it high enough to get out what you really need for the time that you've taken to do it and the cost of your materials, which in my case, the cost of materials is not very much, but it's a lot of time. So I have to think about yeah. how much time I've spent on a piece when I price it and how much the gallery is going to take so that I know that I'm making a decent amount of money. Now, I would say this has not always been and is still not my only source of income. So some of your listeners might need to know that sometimes you can't do exactly what you want to do to make money right off the bat. Yes. You have yes. to have a second job. So my second job, my real income is that is equally creative is doing display work for malls. So I do Christmas sets and holiday sets and it's really, really fun and it's also very creative. And I would tell you that they feed off of each other, both of these careers. Art will feed off of the display stuff, display feeds off of art, and it's worked really well for me. But so even though you may not be able to earn a living right away from what you're doing with art, sometimes you have to build up by teaching other people or by doing a second job, and then you can get to the point where you have enough of a following that you can just do art full time. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually the conception a lot of people have and uh, say artists cannot make a living um, a lot of times because um, not only say, OK, sometimes you cannot sell your art, but sometimes artists are actually not good salesmen, you know, so um, it some people are good at creating, but might not be good at marketing or doing something. Yeah. But I think you actually have a combination of both. I actually found your um, like uh, article actually uh, from a news report from Google. Yeah. So so I think you have this ability to go reach out to different uh, galleries and also exhibit your work and at the same time get exposure. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Like say, how can you reach out as an artist and to um, exhibit at different places? And also, is it mostly people contacting you? Are you making the effort? And if so, how would you do so? Yeah. I do. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in a couple of organizations here locally in town that are art organizations and have been with them for a long time. And we do a lot of networking. I do some shows, some outdoor shows during the year. I do only about four or five during the year. But I find that once I do those four or five shows in and around this area of Florida, I end up getting a lot of other orders. A lot of my orders are word of mouth. You know, somebody saw somebody else's dog that they had and now they want one or they want to get one for a friend. So it kind of builds off of that. So I do the shows. I have an organization I'm in that has exhibits quite often. So I participate in those. And that's really helpful. I do some stuff on Facebook. Um, I have a lot of friends who sell through Etsy and have been very successful and really like that. I have another friend who has work on Zazzle. And those are all things that I have been um, trying to move towards doing with because I find, especially with my work, uh, because it's a 3D thing. Once I sell this dog, I don't have him anymore. You know, when you do a painting, you can have prints made of your painting and you can have all these things done with that same image. So what I'm doing is learning to take the image I have, the photographic image, manipulate it through some programs on my iPad, and then I can make placemats and other things with it or prints and things. So it's trying to expand the way that I think of my 3D pieces into how can they be used in a 2D world. So you have to be creative also in how you're going to market stuff and how you're going to be able to produce an income from the things that you make. Um, 
So, and, and teaching has also been very helpful for me because that, that is a really good source of income and I really enjoy it. It's really, really fun. I used mm-hmm. to think uh, if I taught people how to do it, then everybody would be making my dogs. But, you know, that's really not the case. And people take it and they find out how much, <laughs> how much work it is. And, and I'm thrilled when they go home and make more thrilled to hear them email me and say look I made this for my friend and I made this for my friend I'm like that's great that's a great thing yes, yes but um, and it also okay. feeds me because I learn more stuff from them when I'm yeah. teaching yeah so and everybody's eye you know like the way how they look at things and also they feel things and they create is different so even if they see your dog they may make a completely different dog you know like in their hands so it's very different yeah yeah yeah, you know, um, to to actually to wrap up our conversation, I would love to get uh, some suggestions from you, um, like say for kids and parents, like maybe who are interested in um, like this kind of craft or recycled materials and wanted to use a very um, like environmental friendly way to create at home. So what would you suggest them? Yeah, what would you say to them like if they want to do something at home? Yeah, I would I would suggest you look at again that Johnny Good, the artist that's online on her t- YouTube videos because those are really really great, really instruct and lots of good instruction about it. And look around at the stuff that you have, the stuff that's in your recycling bin that is an interesting shape. Look at the animals around you or the things that are around you and you know Look at how they're shaped. Are they triangles? Are they circles? Are they cylinders? Are they squares? And then think about, gosh, if that's that's a cylindrical kind of a look, I have a cylinder over here. Maybe I can make this into that. So um, I guess mostly just be aware of things and try something new. Try experiment. Mm-hmm. And you might find that this isn't the art form for you. You might find you like clay or you might find you like printmaking that's really fun and you know you can there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with the stuff that you have around so try something new so yeah what about parents yeah so for parents um who have kids at home wanting to do a lot of like explorations and also messy things right like so what would you say to parents like say do they have anything to watch out for for their kids do they have to be there all the time and yeah like anything for parents a lot of it depends on the age of the of the child and how focused they are on things you know because again you have to put several layers on stuff and you could start out actually with a mask a mask making a mask might be an easy way to start paper mache to see yes. if you like it and you can use that just a piece of cardboard and maybe some plastic bottle tops for the eyes and some cardboard for the nose and you know and then put paper mache over that uh, the important thing would be again not putting the glue down the sink that's really really important <laughs> Have you done that or? No, I just know what could happen. (laughs) And it scares me to think about it. Unless you have a plumber in the house who needs to practice, then, you know, yeah, by all means. But no, uh, that I would cover up any surfaces that you don't want to get messed up. But uh, it's really helpful to look at a book or you can get books in the library, too, that are really great on paper mache. But it's great to look at a book just to get the proportions of of the mix right and um, old newspaper, make sure there's nothing you want to keep because you can't get it back once it gets paper mache onto something. And my husband will say, well, what's that article? I wanted that article. I'm like, oh, it's on that dog. Sorry. You know, you missed it. 
And, and I put the glue in. I, I've gotten glue that, that mixed up extra glue. You can keep it in the refrigerator for a couple of days. And my husband oh. one time thought it was, he thought it needed to go in the freezer, that it was ice cream. I'm like, no, <laughs> that was glue, honey. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. But so parents just, I think parents should do it with them. I think parents should make yes. something as well or do it together, make something together. And um, it's really, really fun. And I just paint it with acrylic paint that you can get at any craft store, put a little spray sealer on there or paint a, a clear sealer on there and you've got a great piece and it's really fun. Again, it's really messy. Don't wear jewelry when you're doing it. But um, I wear gloves a lot, but uh, that's just me. But uh, it's, it's really, really fun. I love, you know, like the fun personality and of you and also like your um, animals that you created at the same time. Yeah, like just deliver that kind of message of using like anything can be creative. You can use anything to create as well. And at the same time, you mentioned 3D, you know, versus 2D. I think really when you start making things and touching the texture and also building the thing, um, you are building a connection with your animals. Yeah, so it's something that you cannot get from a 2D and that's why probably what you feel more comfortable selling it in the gallery and face to face when people can touch it and can feel it yeah and they can build a connection with them too yeah so which is amazing yeah I would love to uh, receive some pictures from you yeah Joyce to promote you know our episode and also just to get people to see um, your artwork and so I will post it on our social media and everything that's great that'd be great that's it for Joyce's story I hope you guys enjoyed her insight into creating amazing animals with recycled materials. We'll be sharing some photos of Joyce's animal through our uh, social media like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find more about her and her work at JoyceCurvin.com. That is J-O-Y-C-E-C-U-R-V-I-N. JoyceCurvin.com. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. This is Spark, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. I'm your host, Lee. I will see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Spark Creators Podcast at peachandplumlab.com.